and welcome to the fourth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Randy Graff. Randy is an actor and singer who received Tony and Drama Desk Awards for her role in the musical City of Angels. She also created the role of Fantine in the original Broadway production of Les Miserables. Won a Lucille Lutell Award for Richard Greenberg's The Babylon Line at Lincoln Center Theater and appeared in the 2004 revival of Fiddler on the Roof, A Class Act, Laughter on the 23rd Floor, Moon Over Buffalo, and Falsettos, among many other theater, film, and TV productions. She has served on the musical theater faculty at the Manhattan School of Music and NYU Tisch, the New School, on Broadway, and holds an honorary doctorate in the performing arts from Wagner College. We're going to talk today about the composer Cy Coleman. Thank you so much for being, Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad you invited me. This is nice. Um we are before we get into our topic, we'll get started with our get to know our guest questions. Uh what was your first experience with the musical? I was 10 years old, 10 or 12 years old and the Graff family went to see Fiddler on the Roof. That was my first Broadway musical, and I have a history with it, so it's very meaningful to me. Do you want the details of the Graff family going to see Fiddler on the Roof? I, <laughs> because ab- I absolutely do, yes. Because <laughs> it's kind of funny, because we weren't savvy theater goers at all. We were middle-class people watching television in Brooklyn, you know? But this was the show that everybody in the neighborhood was going to see, and my grandfather, who came from the shtetl in, in, um, in Poland, came with us. But the funny thing about it is because we weren't sophisticated theater goers, we were in a diner next to the restaurant and we went to a matinee and we were there and it was after two o'clock. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going in retrospect. I'm, I'm remembering this at the time. I didn't, I, two o'clock meant nothing to me at the time, but we were just hanging out, eating lunch and, none of us noticed that there weren't people in front of the theater anymore, uh, meaning everybody was inside. So someone must have said, I think we better go inside. We went inside and they were in the middle of Matchmaker. So we missed the whole opening. We missed all tradition. We missed the whole opening and we went up to, we were sitting, I remember it was audience left in the front mezzanine and I turned to my dad and he said, oh, oh, we missed the beginning. We missed, oh, we missed the whole opening number. And I said, dad, don't worry about it. We'll stay to the part we came in on. I thought it was like going to the movies oh, where, it would start where <laughs> they used to run the movie on a loop when I was yeah. a kid. So if you came in late, you would just wait for the movie to be over and then it would start up again. And I thought it was just like that in the theater. So, <laughs> so um, it was really meaningful for me because of my Jewish heritage and my grandfather was there and he was just, the tears were rolling down his cheeks 
And um, my parents couldn't believe the way Jewish people were depicted on stage. And plus the score, you know, the, the sheet music to Sunrise Sunset was on every Jewish piano across the, the country. And um, it just stayed with me. And to this day, it's my favorite musical. And I played Seidel at Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera. And then I went on in 2004 to play Golda. Um, and uh, it's it's just uh, it's historical for me. That was it. Fiddler on the Roof, and 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 my favorite musical, like I said, to this day, my my very favorite musical. Yeah, that's great. I remember the first time I saw it too. It was some tour in Philadelphia because that's where yeah. I'm from. And I remember my I went, it was like a school trip, like chorus trip or something. And I remember my mom sending me with tissues to <laughs> to go see it. Uh huh. I might have seen the movie before that, but I didn't really remember it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, I was like 12 or something. Yeah. Yeah, we were the same age. Yeah, and it was my first Broadway show, so I'd never been to Broadway. We had been to Radio City Music Hall. That was it. So it was a big deal. But, you know, yeah. my dad went out and got tickets for all of us. And, and I thought, wow. Yeah. Great. Um, who is your favorite hero character or protagonist in a musical? And who is your favorite villain or antagonist in a musical? So I've given this question a lot of thought. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my first question, my question, in order for me to answer the question, although I'm going to give you the answer I want to give you anyway, I have a question for you. Define mm -hmm. protagonist and define antagonist okay so protagonist is the character who i guess whose whose journey you're following throughout the story mm -hmm. it's their their want that's the main that's the main arc of the of the show mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. antagonist i mean traditionally a villain but i guess just anyone any character who is there to thwart the right protagonist yeah right right okay so my favorite protagonist is sweeney and sweeney todd mm -hmm. um and i think he's kind of an anti-protagonist kind of an anti-hero because he is a murderer so it's right. kind of like it's kind of <laughs> like rooting for, it's kind of like rooting for for tony soprano right, <laughs> you right. know um and I, if we look at protagonists and antagonists like good and evil, hero and villain, he's got both in him. Right. Even though he's not thwarting his own journey, he's just on. He's just out to to get what he wants and to kill everybody in his path to get revenge. Yeah. But if you look at it as the hero and the villain, he's both yeah. in one character. I mean, they're, they're all they're all villains. They're 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 all villains in uh, she. Uh, um, Mrs. Lovett is a villain. They're all bad guys. Yeah. The, the innocent is, are the two lovers, you know, and, and, and Toby who's who yeah. finally kills him at the end. But Sweeney's my, my, I think that that's my, what, that and Fiddler are my two favorite musicals. So it's definitely, it's definitely, um, uh, 
Sweeney as my protagonist. I, I guess I'm stretching a little bit w- with the ant- antagonist, but my, uh, one of my favorite antagonists is the plant. is the, Is Audrey too in, oh, nice. in, in Little Shop? <laughs> <laughs> and I was reading an article about it, and they called they called it a plant antagonist. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> it's kind of like Sweeney. Everybody dies at the end, and, and you're just on your feet. <laughs> Yeah. Which musical has had the greatest impact on you? The one that's had the greatest impact on me is the Cy Coleman musical. And it's a, it's it's not one of his more famous ones, but it's called Seesaw. And um it's got a great score. Um and and the character of Gittle Mosca, the reason it made such an impact on me was because the character of Gittle Mosca, um, I related to her. Even though I think I was in high school or the beginning of college and my mom took me and we were sitting all the way up and all the way, all the way up in the balcony. But the thing that I remember is her standing, the character of Gittle Mosca, beautifully, so charmingly played by Michelle Lee, so charming. She was standing stage right and she was singing her first big song, her I Want song called Nobody Does It Like Me. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching her thinking I could actually, because I identified with her, I just could picture myself. It was the first time I could actually picture myself on a Broadway stage. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what, and, and it was Cy Coleman. And, I, and, then, and, I, and, I, and, and then, you know, I can combine this answer with one of your other questions about your, uh, your favorite song. It's not my favorite Cy Coleman song, but it's the one that, um, the one that kind of uh, has has the most meaning for me career-wise, because mm-hmm. of the because of uh, because of the significance that it had in a couple of moments. Right. So the first significant the, the first significant moment was me realizing, wow, I could actually picture myself on a Broadway stage, listening to her sing it. The second significant moment was when I got to college. And I was getting ready to graduate. I was a senior and um, a musical director there. One of my professors said, you need to sing this song. It's a really good song for you. It's called Nobody Does It Like Me. So that was my that was my second brush with Cy Coleman. Mm-hmm. And then the third one was when I auditioned for City of Angels. And I was that was back when you when we all used to audition on Broadway stages. And I was on the stage at my callback and I sang my two songs that was also when you could sing full songs sang my up tempo sang my ballad full songs and when it was over Cy said do you know a song called nobody does it like me and I was like do I know well (laughs) yes but I haven't sung it in years so I'm not sure I can remember the words and Cy said well don't worry about it and he was out in the house. I was on stage. He said, I-, I will call the words out to you. So I started singing and he started calling the words out. And he made his and he walked his way up to the stage, got behind the piano and finished the song with me. Oh, wow. um, and then I went home. And when I got home, I got the call that I had gotten City of Angels. And, and later um, I talked to David Zippel about it and he said he wanted they had written you can always count on me and and they were and and nobody does it like me was kind of a a prototype it was one of these self-deprecating mm-hmm. uh, funny belt big belt numbers you know so 
they knew that that was the inspiration for the song and and um asked me to sing it so it's so significant the song is so significant for me yeah. i just went completely full circle with it if there's a wrong bell i ring it a wrong note i sing it ha nobody does it like me if there's a problem i duck it i don't solve it i just muck it up nobody does it like me and so i try to be a lady i'm no lady i'm a fraud and when i talk like i'm a lady what i sound like is a broad if there's a wrong way to get a guy the right way to lose a guy nobody That's such a great launch into talking about Cy Coleman, but we have one more question uh, yeah. before that, which is what is a moment in a musical that you think yeah. gets to a complex emotional state that you didn't think was possible to get to? That's such an interesting question. Um, I took it a step, I took it a step further as I was looking at the question. Um, if you know, if something's really re well written, if a book and if if a musical is really well written, then you can arrive. You can arrive legitimately at a complex emotional state when it's well written. Mm -hmm. But the way that it's musicalized, the way it's musicalized is what's interesting to me. And I go back to Sweeney. I go back to a little priest. Mm -hmm. Look how that moment was, or we're at the end of act one, but look how that moment was musicalized it's a vaudeville it's a comedy number yeah. about popping about killing people and putting them into pies that's what's so that's what's so surprising and phenomenal about that that moment is the way he the way Sondheim musicalized it yeah you know, oh, I love that song yeah. great well let's move now into back or back into talking about Cy Coleman and your I guess relationship with him with his work with you know working on his show and yeah I mean I guess we can start with um your history with his work and we already talked about the song from Seesaw but um are there any other songs that you of his that you um, new growing up like that or were part of your formative uh, years? Not, uh, not the songs that I knew growing up of his, but I didn't know at the time because I was too young. My mom used to listen to the radio. She used to listen to this station called WNEW AM before it became WW. It's now defunct, but it was WNEW FM and it was hosted by Jonathan Schwartz, who's a, a famous DJ. I think he passed away and, and a musicologist. Anyway, my mom used to listen to him and we had Frank Sinatra on all the time and he would sing all of these um, popular Cy Coleman songs, not from musicals, but his, his standards, his jazz standards like witchcraft and the best is yet to come. Yeah. And you fascinate me. So, and all these incredible, uh, 
standards that were recorded by Tony Bennett and Frank Sinatra and Blossom Deary and everybody recorded his stuff. And I, I didn't know him at the time. I just knew these great songs because they'd be playing around the house all the time. And, th and then when I got into musical theater, I think the show that really landed on me was Sweet Charity because it had it had Big Spender and If My Friends Could See Me Now. And mm -hmm. um, that was the one that I knew the most. And then, you know, City of Angels came along. And mm -hmm. and even after, after City of Angels, I worked, I, I did a, a CD, my, the only solo CD I've ever done called um, Randy Graff Sings Cy Coleman. It's called Doing Something Right, Randy Graff Sings Cy Coleman. And I sang all, it's it's an all Cy yeah. CD. And, and I, um, I went over to his beautiful townhouse on near Sutton Place back in 1996. And I sat down at the piano with him and he just started pulling out all these trunk songs, like songs that no one has ever heard before, just these little gems. And I sat down with him at the piano and he would play and, and he would sing to me and he'd say, you like this one? How about that one? And I, I had to pinch myself. Look, I had to pinch myself when I was working with him on on um city of angels uh but i but sitting next to him so intimately at the piano and he was an incredible musician he was you know what he was what the musicians call a real cat which comes from the 40s it's shortened from hep cat you know oh, yeah. and he, he he was a musician's musician and he and he just was cool <laughs> so i was just <laughs> You know, with the cigarette hanging from his mouth, playing the piano, and and um, and with that raspy, smoky, jazzy voice that he had, I just I, and he swings. He his music swings for me like nobody else's, and and uh, my the way I like to sing, um, and. Uh, the kinds of songs that I like to sing um, that have some swing to them. It was a great marriage, the two of us, his music and my, and my feel when I sing and the sound of my voice. And also he, he wasn't interested in high belters. And that was the other thing that I loved about him because back then I wasn't a high belter. I mean, it wasn't called for by any of us, by any of the singers, um, yeah. female singers. So so he would just write songs for a woman's chest voice, you know, and you got to sing where you spoke. <laughs> right. Yeah, what I love about his music, I mean, some of it varies, but yeah, the jazz, the, the ones that are more jazzy, like you can kind of, I, I was walking around New York the other day listening to a bunch of them and it's just like the kind of music you can walk around New York, like swinging your hips to, like <laughs> walking around and I was like, this is so like I just felt so in that that era of yeah you know, that style. He, what made him so unique uh, was that he could write authentically in any style. It was mm -hmm. never watered down. So he could do a jazz score like City of Angels, and then he could write a a country song like I Never Met a Man I Didn't Like from mm -hmm. Will Rogers Follies, and then he could do an operetta like uh, on the twentieth century um authentically in each style and i don't think there's another composer who's done that 
Yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. Like, and then Barnum, mm -hmm. you listen to that has a different feel and, um, and I love my wife has another feel mm -hmm. and, and the yeah. life has an, an, a, another, it, everything is just so, so specific to the period and it's authentic when he writes it. So he's, he's, and then he writes these incredible standards that have stood the test of time in American songbook, you know, and they still get recorded and they still get recorded. Yeah. So there's nobody like, there's nobody like him. <laughs> I asked a friend of mine, uh, a lyricist friend of mine, why he's not as popular as like John, like Candor and Ebb or mm -hmm. Rogers and Hammerstein and, um, uh, Com Comden and Green, you know, uh, and my friend David said, because he slept around. I said, what do you mean by that? Because he had multiple partners as lyricists. Right. He didn't have, he just didn't have the one partner. And I never heard it put that way because yeah. <laughs> he slept around. Yeah. Yes, young musical theater students, have you ever heard of Cy Coleman? And they'll say, who's that? And then you'll say, big spender. And I'll go, oh, he wrote, right. <laughs> he wrote that. You know. Yeah, no, that's what I, yeah. I mean, that's what I love about him. And also that he wrote with all these women lyricists that a lot of people yes. Yes. weren't, you know, there weren't that many of them in that level at the time. And, you know, and he wrote yeah. with all, you know, all of them. <laughs> well, and they're my favorites. Carolyn Lee is my favorite lyricist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Carolyn Lee, of all, of all time, she's my favorite lyricist. Carolyn Lee and... And, uh, and he wrote with Dorothy Fields. Right. Yeah. He loved women. He was a bit of a playboy <laughs> before we got married and settled down. Uh, but he just loved the women. <laughs> he was yeah, a was, real flirt. I was going to ask you which, um, which of his collaborations, if you had like a preference, but it sounds like Carolyn Lee is your, your She's favorite. The one. <laughs> yeah. And the trunk songs that he sang for me were all that I put on my CD mm. were, Car were all written with uh, by him and Carolyn Lee. I don't know who told me this, but for a long for a long time, she didn't really write about love from being inside it, because it was towards the end of her life that she discovered what love what love really meant. I guess mm. she had fallen in love late in her life. Um, so she's always a little bit, a little bit removed. Like you look at a song, like you, you fascinate me. So, and the lyrics to that are, they're, they're slightly removed from the person who's singing about the, um, the, the, per the person that they, um, are in love or in lust with anyway. And then, and then you get a song, which I put on my CD called, um, there's a change in me, which, which is might have been one of the last songs she wrote with Sai, mm -hmm. and it was it was just about how love changed her and softened her and you can really feel that mm. in the lyric and there's a change in how I'm feeling last night I gave my heart away and yes, it's strange to know the feeling But oh, the feeling when you can say Good morning, sun Good 
it's also so interesting that their first show, Broadway show, was a, a flop, was Wildcat, which... Um, yeah. Well, look at the song that came out of it. I know. The, the Hey, Look Me Over is... is hey, so Look Me Over, which is, another, which is a march, an authentic right. march. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so recorded by all these popular artists. You gotta say hey, look me over, let me in here. Fresh out of clover, porkies up to here. But don't pass the plate, don't pass the cup. I figure whenever you're down and out, the only way is up and I'll be up. I like a rose, but I am the vine. Don't thumb your nose, but take a tip for mine. I mean, I guess it endures because Lucille Ball, but <laughs> yeah, as the star. But yeah, it. I mean, it's thinking about a time where like your first show could be a flop, and then you can move on to <laughs> to do so much more. What, what did you write after? Um, their their second show. Was had, it Little Me? Little Me. Little Me. Yeah. yeah, Little Me, I think, is next. Yeah. Oh, there's Little Me, and there's that song that every, I don't know if, if young singers are doing it now, but on the other side of the tracks, mm -hmm. every, back in the in the 70s, late 70s, that was the, the go-to audition song for mm -hmm. all women. Oh, <laughs> all, all young belters. That was the <laughs> one that everybody went to. <laughs> Oh, funny. Yeah, it's also then interesting, too, like that he kept writing for like these specific stars um, in those those early in those early musicals, Lucille Ball, then Sid Caesar, then he was, you know, always right. he was writing for these specific people, which he seemed to right. have a knack for. <laughs> right. Well, that was the assignment for a lot of composers back then. Right. Right. Julie Stein, too. Let's talk about your experience working with him on on City of Angels. Well, we talked about the the audition and that experience, but what what other stories, I guess, um, of working with him on that show? Well, there's a really good story about how the verse to <clears throat> um, "You Can Always Count on Me" was born because. It didn't have a verse. It just started out with um, Uli's section. If you need a gal to go without salary and work too hard, you salary and you, you can always count on me. It's right, right with the chorus. Mm -hmm. And we were in tech, like ten out of twelves, and it was really, really late at night. It was getting close to midnight, <clears throat> and Cy Coleman and David Zippel were down on the uh, on the. Uh, in the orchestra at the piano and so I was kind of noodling on the piano and and we were on a break and he said Randy come on down and he said try sing this and and the verse I'm one of a long line of good girls who choose the wrong guy to be sweet on right mm -hmm. he David wrote it out on just a little crumpled piece of piece of paper and so I just put, started playing chords and he said just sing along with me and I was reading it off this crumpled piece of paper and he said I, I knew something was missing. I knew something was missing from the song and it was a verse. It needed a verse. So that's when I, I uh, the first time I ever heard the verse was in, in, in 10 out of 12.
I'm one of a long line of good girls who choose the wrong guy to be sweet on. The girl with a face that says welcome that men can wipe their feet on. I'm there when he calls me the trusted girl Friday all right. But what good does it do me alone on a Saturday night? You... Oh wow. So what do you Yeah. Did you also feel that it, it needed a verse? Was that also your <laughs> your thinking? I no, I was too busy trying to um, you know, I had other things to think about at that yeah. point. I was just uh, in, in the play and in, in the and the acting of these two characters that I was playing. Right. No, I I, I no, but when he said it it made total it, of course, of course you have to have a verse. You're psychomat, of course you have to have a verse to your song. <laughs> So it made total sense to me. But the the other thing, when whenever I sing, and I don't sing it very often anymore, but I used to sing it a lot. Um, you can always count on me. He taught me how to sing that song. There are ways that there are there are there's phrasing that is so ingrained in me till this day, uh, from sitting at the piano and him saying, you know, you um he, he told me to think about uh, Sophie Tucker. He says it's kind of like a Sophie Tucker has a so Sophie Tucker fan um, feel to it, but I still do the same exact phrasing. It's just in me. Mm. That was a, just, learning that song was a great was was a highlight to because he taught he taught it to me. The phrasing like the way Sophie Tucker would phrase it, you mean? Yeah, like there's a thing like um, men the the line is men don't give a warranty. You know, mm -hmm. and he said, he said, just stretch it. Just go, um, men don't give a warranty. <laughs> so every time I sing it, yeah, I sing it like that. So I made a pact to carry out research before I care. Men don't give a warranty. One Joe who swore he single got me sort of cropped the beast. I woke up only slightly shocked that I defrocked a priest Or else I attract the guys who are longing to do my hair You can always count on me Yeah, and at the very end, when you sing You can always count on that, count on He did that, because uh, it's not written It's not written in the score It's just it's, It just goes, you can always count on but Cy, because he's Cy and he swings, he sang it like that. And I just thought, I'm going to sing it like that. Right. <laughs> and you know, when I hear other people sing it, they don't do that because it's not that way in the, in the, in the score. Mm. So just little, little gems like that that he fed me when we were working together. I choose the kind who cannot introduce the girl he's with. There are lots of smirking motel clerks who call me Mrs. Smith.
others from other other points in the show that he he chimed in on for those as well oh well um what you don't know about women the duet but with uli and gabby that sting at the end where they where they sing um that goes like real that was the only time i had a high belt in the show <laughs> where it goes you were in need of a little lining up that was never there either mm-hmm. and we were rehearsing um we finished the song and david zippel called us over to the piano while you know uh he called a break and he said uh try singing this. And we looked at it and went, what, what? <laughs> Wait, that's really high and really fast. But we learned it and we sang it. And, and, it, and it, that and the door slam at the end was just what the audience went crazy. Yeah. Little things like that, that get, that it's, that's why it's so excited, exciting to be a part of a new musical. Cause it's just new, new things are, you just discover things and things that just happen on the spot. Right. It's so inspiring. You're an incurable player. Show a lack of discretion. No jack about heartache. You're out of sync with your feelings. You only wink at commitment. You're running low on emotion. What you don't know about women. You're dropping the emotion. And when you were working on the your your album of his work, any did he um, with those songs? Did he kind of give you the same uh, similar you know thoughts? No, he the, the the wonderful thing that was the opposite. He gave me complete freedom. I mean, he introduced me to some of the songs, and then my arranger and I, an orchestrator, we we played with them we did different takes on them and he embraced all of it he wasn't precious about any of it and i so appreciated that mm-hmm. you know we, we did kind of an s m version of big spender <laughs> and he he uh he just was so supportive talking about his you know legacy and uh, as a as a composer i mean we mentioned like, you know, not not a lot of people today kind of know him, but what I guess what will we what would you say is is kind of what he he's left for for musical theater performers, composers today as as his legacy? I would have to repeat what I said before, mm-hmm. um, that if you look at his music, he wrote authentically in every style. And the problem that I have with a lot of the musicals now is that you don't get that. You get watered down um, genres a lot. I'm not going to call anybody out, but that's my, (laughs) but that's my feeling about it, that it's watered down. And, and because of the background that he came from musically, he played at, you know, Carnegie Hall when he was a kid, when he was, I don't know, seven or really young Mm -hmm. classical pianist. And then he got into jazz. And so he could just, he could, again, he could just write in every style. And he wrote for character, brilliantly for character. And then he wrote these uh, songs that are in the American songbook canon and have stood the 
test of time and are recorded from, I mean, Fiona Apple, you look at Fiona Apple recorded, I walk a little faster, which is one of the songs that he turned me on to. And I wound up putting in my CD mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and she just does the most beautiful heartfelt moving version of it. Um, and, and um, Michael Bublé sings his stuff, you know, yeah. He, he will go down as the coolest, like the, the he just swung. Nobody swung like Cy Coleman. <laughs> well, let's move on then to, to, to the next section, to the why is this so good section, where we're going to talk about <laughs> a quiet thing from yeah. Flora the Red Menace. Yeah. And, yeah. Why did you pick this song for... Why is this so good? I've heard it a lot in class and I recommend it a lot in class, especially when people are overacting mm -hmm. um, because it's a, 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 just a simple, beautiful ballad. And it likes so many great songs. It's the perfect, it, it meets the moment so perfectly. And, and the marriage of the lyrics and the music are so perfect. Um, and my favorite lyric is, is, is happiness comes in on tiptoe. Well, what do you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, the other thing that's, that's so interesting, um, is that happiness comes in? Yeah. Happiness comes in on tiptoe. Well, what do you know? It, and, and it's, it, it's a type of song that in, in working with students on this song, Shoshana, you have to be at a point in your life where you really understand what this means. Mm -hmm. I know that when everything comes together, it's not necessarily a big explosion. And I myself experienced that. And I experienced it much later in life when everything that I wanted in my life, um, professionally, personally, just everything just came together the way it does in this moment for Flora. Um, it came together and I thought bells and whistles would go off and it didn't. It just felt quiet and calming, calming and, and, um, and natural and right. And, and I think you have to have an understanding of that as a human being in order to sing the song really young people can't don't understand what this means but you have to reach a level of maturity and a level of just of world of wisdom in the world to get what he's talking about to get what fred ebb is talking about here um and that's what i love about it because it, it's and and in working in working with students on it, it really brings them, like especially those students who have a tendency to um, overact or to to perform, to become to be too performative and not just, you know, drop drop into into the song, and let the song kind of do them. Um, that when they find when they are able to identify with this moment with what a quiet moment, how magnificent a tiny little moment can be. Just to to watch them experience that um, is so beautiful. And to, uh, and to translate that 
through song is 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 also um, a defining moment in in a student's work. And this seems to be uh, this is a song that does that. I have found when when working on acting the song. This is one of those songs that just dropped, just l lets go of all the artifice of all the performative, you know, that the, 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 uh, the um, pressure to perform when they just allow themselves to drop into that quiet thing. It, it's, a, it, it's, it's a revelation, but, but it's a, a tiny quiet little moment. true just the way you've planned it's funny but the bells don't ring it's a quiet thing when you hold the And I, what I also love about this song is, at least in the in the original production, she it, knowing that it's about a job that she got and that for thirty bucks a week. For $30 a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's about it's yeah, it's about the job, and it's also about the guy. It's about mm -hmm. it, it's it's about everything coming together at, at right. once. Right. And what yeah. and I what I also love and. I want to, would love to hear your thoughts on this, but is that there's a, it seems like there's a, you know, a discovery before the song even happens, like the, well, at least before the, the first act, you know, after the intro, but, um, like that's the discovery that it is a quiet thing. And then the song, mm -hmm. and then the song starts on mm -hmm. uh, the verse says, what do you call a job at Garrett and Mellick's? What do you call a fashion illustrator? What do you call assisting Mr. Stanley? Me. What do you call $30 a week? 30, 30, 30, 30, 30. <laughs> she says, I want to run. No, I don't. I want to scream. No, I don't. I want to. And then she says, I want to sit down. Right. And then she says, I don't hear anything. You're supposed to hear bells drums, trumpets, I don't hear anything. Do you hear anything? No? Well, what do you know? And then we go into when it all comes true. What do you call a job at Garrett Mellick's? Yeah. What do you call a fashion illustrator? What do you call assisting Mr. Stanley? What do you call thirty dollars a week? Thirty. Thirty. I wanna run. No, I don't. I wanna scream. No, I don't. I wanna. I wanna sit down. I don't hear anything. 
You're supposed to hear bells, drums, trumpets. I don't hear anything. I always thought I'd hear. Well, what do you know? When it all comes. Yeah, yeah. So there's that great, um, like first discovery. I think like before before we get into the you know when it all comes true. Part. The perfect scene into song, right? Right. Right. <laughs> And then, and then I guess, you know, the, the happiness coming in on tiptoe, that part is, is also kind of a discovery. Yeah. Um, no, it all is. Every moment is, is a discovery. Yeah. Yeah. I also love, because I feel like this song is also just thinking about John Kander and Fred Ebb's collaboration and like with John Kander kind of coming from like a more just like being a more quiet like you know um kind of coming from a more classical background and Fred Ebb being like city I think I saw somewhere in a video once or read that they were trying to get at this moment and I think it was John Kander who to Fred Ebb and was like think about a quiet thing, you know, and it just, oh. it feels like, like John Kander, you know, it feels like him, you know, in the song, but mm -hmm. obviously Fred Ebb's words, words, and just like the, the collaboration of the two of them there, just thinking mm -hmm. about the two of them as, as writers. As writers on the first musical that they collaborated on. Right, right. So and early. You look at, and you look so early in this gorgeous song <laughs> that came from it that is still so popular with singers yeah um that and sing happy those two big hits that came out of that yeah it's a shame i would love to see this musical and just i i know it but i've never been able to to see it as a you know yeah it's, it, it seems like when they should do it encores right yeah I know, I know but um yeah i would love to see it just see it um but yeah, I was going to say I love this song, too, because I feel like it gets at a moment that a lot of us or a way of experiencing a moment that a lot of us do feel. I mean, as you said, like as we get older and we do have those moments, but so it's it's hard to find it, that type of moment like expressed. It's kind of like um perfect. A revelation it's like oh yes the, this is these are the words for that and the music for that for that moment which is so it feels so obvious because we've all at some point hopefully probably experienced it but mm -hmm. um but usually yeah these kind of moments are expressed in these other ways like exploding fireworks as they say in the lyrics right. here right so that's what we're kind of taught to expect you know yeah but not everything is a jump up and down yeah jumping up and down moment and and and, and those jumping i i discovered that those jumping up and down moments were very much when i was younger in my mm -hmm. 20s mm -hmm. and then the more grounded and more mature i became as an adult there was less there was less jumping up and down and there was more just grat gratitude right as you get older yeah. 
And it's yeah. just the most beautiful melody. So gorgeous. I think it's really funny that it's the song is called A Quiet Thing. And then when Liza Minnelli sings it in the show, she's belting full <laughs> throttle. <laughs> Yeah. That well, just makes me laugh. Well, she was so young. Yeah. She was so young when she sang it. Yeah. But it makes sense. I mean, there are places that, like when you sing, there are no exploding fireworks. Right. You know, she gets full there and then she brings it, she, she opens it up and then she brings it in and opens it up. But most people now who sing this don't ever get really full mm-hmm. right. with it. And I think that's part of her character. That's Flora's character. no exploding fireworks where's the roaring of the crowd maybe it's the strange new atmosphere way up here among the clouds yeah yeah speaking of the melody i love that the dun 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 like that how it reaches up to that um note in the moment spring yeah yes yes sections um yeah uh just like a little oh yeah okay here it is here it is the sounds i'm told but i don't hear the drums i don't hear the bat the sounds i'm told such moments bring yeah and then my favorite happiness comes in on tiptoe. Well, what do you know? Yeah. So I also Fred. love, yeah, in that moment, the accompaniment sort of starts to echo the melody mm-hmm. line there, which is just so beautiful to me because it's like the music is even more like getting in on the feelings of mm-hmm. this character, like this melody that she's singing. But. I don't hear the drums and I don't hear the band The sounds I'm told such moments bring Happiness comes in on tiptoe What do you know? It's a quiet thing. A very quiet illustrator what do you call $30 a week I, I remember when I first heard it I guess I was in my 20s when I first heard it but I definitely really related to it even then just like you did 
There are, yeah. I mean, there, there are people in their 20s. I've coached people in their 20s. I've actually coached teenagers who understood what that, what a quiet moment, how magnificent a quiet moment can be, which is always surprising. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah. it just depends on um, also your experience. Yeah. Your experience, yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to our last section, which I call Something Wonderful. And <laughs> where we just talk about um, something upcoming, upcoming or current in musical theater, you know, books, events, mus actual musicals, you know, that we are excited about or want to give a shout out to. I'm excited about the reopening of Broadway in general. Right. Aren't you? <laughs> that is major. That is, yeah. that's historical. <laughs> it is major. It's going to uh, be very... Uh, it's going to be very interesting to live, yeah, to live through that playing out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and to see just how, like, who's going to come. Right. And what, it's, and just what it's going to look like. It's very, it's exciting. It's a, a little, makes me a little nervous. Like, I don't know how soon I'm going to want to sit in the theater. You know, I have friends yeah. who are, have bought tickets to shows and I haven't done any of that yet, uh, but I'll know when it feels right yeah. you know, to do so. I'm kind of the same way. I'm kind of cautiously um, making my way back into the world <laughs> from this, but yeah, but yes, in, indoors with others for a prolonged period of time is um, <laughs> like being that close to people is, is, yeah, we'll see when I'm there. The total, the total strangers. And where, where did, where did you come from? <laughs> right, right. And you're right next to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's still, but it's still exciting. And, our, yeah. and our, our colleagues, our friends are going back to work and that's. Yeah. It feels like it's, it's a long time coming and it needs to come, but yeah, just the yeah. process of, of, of it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the reopening. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything that you're looking forward to seeing? Um mm -hmm. there were a few shows that I had been at the time interested in in seeing before everything shut down. I was looking forward to the revival of Carolina Change, um mm -hmm. that Roundabout was doing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I love that show, and I was looking yes. forward to, to seeing that. Um, I then the gender bend of company. Oh yeah, I'm I'm interested in in seeing that. I've had mixed feelings about that as just like a a show, but I think I've been convinced that I want to see it. <laughs> and I'm a big Katrina Link fan, so yeah. I, I'd like to see. It. Yeah, I'd the like cast is her. the cast is great. I. Yeah, so I'm interested in that. I'm very, I'm curious about six. Everybody seems very excited about it, so I'm curious about, um, you know, seeing that. I don't know. There's, there's shows that I'm just like, that I have seen that I really hope come to Broadway that are haven't been like announced or anything, but I'm just hoping that they come. Like a strange loop. Which one? Like a strange loop. Oh. And, oh yes. Um, and uh, a show, a, a show that I saw in Atlanta, a couple months before the shutdown, called Maybe Happy Ending, which um, about like uh, a relationship between two robots uh, in Korea. 
Yeah, I was, it's very good. And um, so I'm hoping that it, I'm hoping that makes its way. I think had the, I think it might have come had the, or been at least like helped along had the pandemic not ha happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, yeah, I just like to envision like my, my like, you know, perfect season you know with a lot of shows that i liked that never went to broadway that would come <laughs> that would come thank you all for listening to this episode of scene to song you can write to scene to song at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater or if you'd like to be a podcast guest love this podcast help it find more listeners by rating it on apple podcasts and leaving a review Follow us on Instagram at Scene to Song, on Twitter at Scene Song, and on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. Check back here in two weeks for our next episode, and stay tuned right now for a promo from my friends at the podcast Buried Broadway. Hello. I'm Jen Beverelli. And I'm Mikey Beverelli. And we have a podcast called Buried, Buried Broadway. Broadway. On our podcast, Buried Broadway, we discover, dissect, and demystify forgotten Broadway musicals that we most likely found on vinyl for a dollar. Those hidden Broadway gems like Wildcat starring Lucille Ball, Flowers for Algernon starring the Phantom of the Opera himself, Michael Crawford, and even a rockin' musical version of The War of the Worlds. In our podcast, Buried Broadway, we go through biographies of key artists, summarize the plot, play clips of the music, pick audition cuts, and hopefully throw in a good joke or two along the way. You can find our podcast, Buried Broadway, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's probably on whatever you're listening to this podcast with, so just go subscribe right now so you don't forget. And just to make sure you remember, we'll sing it for you. Buried Broadway.